0: So if you could get dinner with any celebrity, living or dead, who would you want to get dinner with? Gordon Ramsey. Jackie Robinson. Jesus, for sure. Elvis Presley. Probably Elvis, too. I mean, how would you answer the question? I mean, comment online, turn to the person that you're with, and just answer the question. Who would you want to sit down with for dinner? I mean, what celebrity you want to... Would you want to hang out with? I mean, I love the answers in the video. Some of those answers are kind of like my answers. I love that two people said Elvis. Like, is that Elvi? Two Elvises, Elvi, Elvin? I don't know. I was thinking about my answer to the question. I thought maybe, okay, Peyton Manning is, is a good one for me. I'm a big Colts fan. It'd be fun to sit down and talk to him about what the experience would be like. And um, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer now, so that's even, even more uh, interesting in that regard and I started to think I mean dinner with anyone ever so I started to think about historical characters you know like Abraham Lincoln would like to pick his brain talk to him about his hat a little bit I want to bring the stovepipe hat back me and Slash bringing it back talk uh I want to talk to Albert Einstein maybe Ancient rulers, you know, Pharaoh, Cleopatra, I think that'd be really fascinating. I kind of wonder what type of dinner would they expect or if they were cooking dinner, what would they prepare? But my honest answer to the question, and I know this is such a pastor answer, like I'm aware that it's a pastor answer and you full permission to roll your eyes at me and kind of, okay, Adam, like I understand, I understand that, but if you asked me that question, and I could really answer the question. I mean, who would you want to sit down with for dinner throughout history? Hands down, my answer is Jesus. Like, you kidding me? I get to sit down with anybody ever. I have a shot to sit down and have dinner with Jesus. I'm in. Now, we're starting a new series today. We're calling it Dinner with Jesus, and it's a simple concept. There are these examples in the Bible of Jesus sitting down to eat with all sorts of different people, all sorts of different times. Jesus often used these meals with unexpected guests to teach these important lessons. He sat down with all sorts of different types of people, liars, cheats, prostitutes, religious leaders, rich, poor people, outcasts, community leaders, kind of across the gambit. And this series is going to look at some examples of these meals and find out what we can learn if we really did sit down with and have dinner with Jesus. Now, I think something happens when you sit down to eat with somebody. You know, I don't know, but when you sit down and, like, you eat with somebody and you see them, like, in a completely different way, you know what I'm saying? Like, here's what I mean. Have you ever sat down and you had this, like, really positive opinion of somebody, and then you sat down with them and they, you ate spaghetti together? And they'll, and you're like, nope. Nope. Like your, your opinion completely changes or have you ever been out with somebody and you're eating pizza and they pull out like a knife and fork and they start eating it that way. I am silently judging you if we've ever done that. Like definitely, like, are you kidding me? You learn all sorts of things when you sit down with somebody for dinner. But when you sit down and eat with somebody, I think it's actually one of the very best ways to get to know them you know, to learn about their lives. You find out, you know, who they are, what they like, what they don't like. Maybe you talk about hopes, and you talk about dreams, you talk about difficult things, what questions they have. When else do you have an opportunity to kind of sit down with somebody one-on-one and talk to them for like an entire hour to get to know them? I mean, how many of you have kind of played that game before? Like the celebrity, hey, I want to go to dinner with this person. You know, you're on a car ride or something like that. Who would you invite to dinner? It's a fun game. It's a fun thing to think about. Now, I kind of want to play a different version of this game. This is a little bit harder, I think. But it kind of reveals some stuff in us, too. So here's the question. Who would you refuse to invite to dinner? You can say me. It's okay. That's fine. But I think our answer to this question actually reveals an awful lot about us like if you had a chance you had a dinner party you had unlimited resources you had all the time all the money you had all the space you didn't have to worry about distancing or any rules and restrictions or anything like that you can invite anybody in the world is there a person that you'd be like no I'm good like no thanks I don't really I don't really want to who would you refuse to invite to dinner? Now, maybe it's a broken relationship in your life. You know, spouse, family member. It's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's estranged maybe. Or maybe it's somebody in your life that has brought you pain, it brought you hurt, they've lied about you, or they abused you, or they stole from you. And you're like, there's no way in the world I'm going to sit down again with them. Maybe it's somebody who's just wildly unpopular. You know, somebody you just don't want to be associated with. You know, even a celebrity, maybe that you used to be a huge fan of them and now you've learned some things recently and you're not really that comfortable even saying that you like them anymore. Somebody that you used to know really well but you haven't seen them in a long time and you're like, ah, that'd be really awkward. There are people in your life, I'm guessing that, you would refuse to invite to dinner. But let's up the ante a little bit, turn the heat up a little bit. There's a cooking analogy right in the middle of this. There you go. Maybe it's someone who's just downright offensive to you. I mean, somebody that you're like, I can't even be in the same room. I don't, I don't want to be around them. Like, everything about who they are, you're just like, ah, I can't be around them. Like Tom Brady, you know? <laughs> That's a little bit of my baggage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> But really, like somebody that you go, I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, somebody that you go, they are they are oppressive or they are offensive to me. Like a white supremacist. You know, think on that level. Somebody that you're like, that's not okay. They're full of hate. I don't want to be around them. Or a serial killer. You're like, I'm not sitting down to dinner with a psychopath. Like somebody I know is a sociopath or something. Like, I don't want to sit down with somebody who hurts people on purpose you're probably not inviting them over for dinner. See, what's your answer? Because it reveals a lot about us, the way we think, what we care about, who in our relationships are, are strained. You know, who would you refuse to invite to dinner? Now, here are a few things that you need to know. The book of the Bible that we're gonna be talking about throughout this series, Dinner with Jesus, is the book called Luke. And it's written by a guy named Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor and he used a bunch of eyewitness accounts to write the book. Now, Luke is one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. That's in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And it's called a gospel because it's about the good news. Gospel literally means good news. And like an investigative journalist, Luke kind of put together the story of the good news of Jesus. And there's so much food in the book of Luke, like so much food. Now, and he's kind of my kind of guy, if he's got that much food in there. But today we're going to talk about a time that Jesus ended up going to dinner. And he went to dinner with some outcasts, some people that other people would have refused to invite over. So we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 5, and we're talking about this party that a tax collector named Levi threw. So check this out. This is Luke 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. So Levi's at work. And he says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Even just that one sentence, there's a whole lot baked into that one sentence. I mean, what would you do if somebody came up to work, you know, when you were, like, doing your job, and they're like, hey, come do this. Well, some of us would be like, yeah, let's go. But would you do that? Would you just say, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to leave everything right now, right away, and I'm going to go and follow you. I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask for. Now, being a t- tax collector doesn't seem like a very fun job to me. Like, did anybody see, you know, all the back-to-school photos and stuff this week? Did anybody see one that said, like, I want to be, I want to work at the IRS when I grow up? Like, No. I mean, nobody did that. Like, nobody's wanting to do that. If you do work for the IRS, I'm so glad that we're friends. But the way that taxes worked at the time, people had to pay up to live under Roman rule. So there were these people whose job it was to be the middleman. So they made people pay these taxes. But they weren't just taxes. They added all of these significant fees. All of these surcharges. All of like the added things to it. And it was oppressive. It was mean. It was nasty. It was completely dishonest. It was kind of like a scam. I mean, they were the people calling about your car warranty of the day. Like that's who they were. They're cleaning people out. And to make matters works, this is somebody you were likely know. Somebody you grew up with. Your neighbor. Your friend. See, A guy like Levi is making all this money, stealing from you, stealing from your friends. You actually would sit there, you'd smell like the barbecue that he's grilling up, like you would know exactly what he was doing and who he was. You knew exactly How much money he had taken from you. He was the worst of the worst. You didn't want to be around him. You had just counted him out. You said, I don't want to be around Levi ever again. So Jesus goes up to this tax collector, this outcast, this hated guy in his community named Levi. And Levi's at work. Jesus says, hey, come and be my disciple. Come follow me. And Levi was like, okay. And he left all the money, all the stuff, all the power. And he immediately started to follow Jesus. And then the first thing that Levi does when he follows Jesus. I love this. He throws a party. Isn't that fun? Levi's my type of fella. Like, let's go. This is verse 29. So this is what it says. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I don't know. I have this image in my head of like a dinner party with the bass bumping and a lot of laughing and like they're having a great time. And I love that Levi's like, hey, Jesus, now that I follow you, I want you to meet everybody I know. Isn't that amazing? That's kind of a challenge to me. And Levi's first response when he follows Jesus is, as I follow you, I want other people to get to know you and to follow you. So he sets up this party, and it would have been a big party It would have been an epic party, and he invites Jesus as the guest of honor to make sure that everybody there would have gotten to get to know Jesus, would got to interact with Jesus. That sounds awesome, right? I mean, let's go. Let's do that right now. we all want to be a part of something like that. That sounds incredible. Well, some people don't think so. This is verse 30. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Scum is a strong word. I don't use scum very much. I probably wouldn't be very happy if I got called scum. I don't let my kids call other people scum. What do you think that they're trying to say? Well, here's the image. Have you ever been driving down the road and you looked over and maybe you saw a pond on somebody's property? Have you ever done that? And you look over, but the water is stagnant. It's not moving at all. And it's kind of nasty. And there's this layer of like gross green gelatinous goo on top of the pond. Pond scum. That's kind of the image here. That's what they're calling Levi. That's what they're calling the people who are at this party. And the Pharisees are these religious teachers and leaders of the day. And Jesus goes to this party, and Pharisees are like, what? I can't believe it. Like, why in the world would you hang around this scum, these nasty, these filthy, these defiled, these gross people? I think we can learn something here. See, there are a couple of things. There are two takeaways that have really been speaking to me a lot about this story. And here's one of them. This challenges me. This gets in my face. Here's the first one. See, following Jesus leads us into opposition with the self-righteous. Now, what does righteous mean? Righteous means morally excellent. Somebody who thinks themselves morally excellent is self-righteous. And the Pharisees could not get their mind around why in the world Jesus would be doing what he was doing. How in the world is it okay to associate with such people? I would never do that. And we think, chill out, Pharisees. Like, be cool. Like, it's all right. They're just tax collectors. But let me remind you, like, would you invite Jeffrey Dahmer over to your house? They're probably not. Hey, person who actively participates in things that are offensive to me and have hurt me and my family, come on over for dinner. No, we're not doing that. And we can keep going, right? There are all sorts of those types of examples where we go, I'm not going to interact with that person. I mean, who would you refuse to invite over for dinner? And following Jesus means other people will at times feel justified in saying, you're doing it wrong. Like the way that you live your life, the people that you're around, they're no good. They're dangerous. You're doing it wrong. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. And when we choose to follow Jesus, the way we view other people changes. So, what does a self-righteous person, a Pharisee, what do they look at? And what do they see when they look at another person? Well, they see people as the sum of all the things that they've done. Good things, bad things. They see the sin, you know, the lie a liar tells, the money a thief steals, the sex an adulterer has. And they come to this conclusion this person is good, this person is bad, this person is good, and they judge. And Jesus is different. See, Jesus sees people as the sum of who they are and what they've done, and he wipes away the judgment because of what he did on the cross. And he doesn't say, you're good, you're bad, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an adulterer. No, he says, your imperfection is taken care of through my perfect love. He says, you're my child. And when we follow Jesus, other people will look at us and go, why in the world are you associating with those people? Now, before we get all high and mighty, and you're like, yeah, quit judging me. Quit judging people. Don't be self-righteous. I think we need to check ourselves a little bit, right? You started to feel that way, didn't you? You're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Get them, get them. Get them, Adam, get them. No, no. We are self-righteous sometimes. I am self-righteous. I am the Pharisee in this story. What does that mean? We come to these conclusions about who somebody is based on limited information, don't we? And we compare ourselves, don't we? And we start to say, oh, you're not. You can't. You shouldn't. Do You ever do that? Here's an example. I was at church once. It wasn't this church. Somebody walked in. You ever see somebody walk into a place and they just look immediately out of place? You know, like they've never been there. You can just tell. And that's kind of what this was like. Everybody in the building had, a, like, their Sunday's finest on. They were, like, bright and shiny and clean and smelled good and all, all that good stuff. And this person did not. Looked like they just rolled out of bed, really. I think they might have. She was kind of dirty, and she was wearing pajama bottoms. They had a little uh, a snowman on them, I remember. She was wearing a tank top. And she walked into the building. This is why I remember this story. Somebody asked her to leave. It told her she wasn't dressed appropriately enough for church. And that seems really harsh when I tell that story, but the reality is like we do things like that sometimes. We say, clean yourself up, or put yourself up by your bootstraps, or you don't look like you should, or you don't act like you should, or you don't know what you should. You've been in church how long, and you don't seem to know that? Why don't you know that? How, how much of a follower of Jesus are you? You don't even go to church? What?! Like, we do those things. We think those things. Figure it out. Do it. This is what it means. This is how you should behave. This is how you should act. And we become self-righteous, and we judge other people, and we go, no, you, I am the ruler here. I am the measurement here. We think things like that, don't we? We can be so self-righteous. And if we're following Jesus, I think we do need to stop with that high and mighty talk. If we follow Jesus, people might actually be giving us that high and mighty talk. And Jesus didn't just stop with that. He didn't just go to the party and kind of ignore the Pharisees. I love that. He actually talks to the Pharisees that were grumbling about him. Check this out. This is verse 31. Jesus answered them. He's talking to the Pharisees. He answered them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. That's self-righteous but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. See, when Jesus says he comes for the outcast, you know, the person who needs help, the sick, he means it. Like he's showing that that's what he's doing. He sat down with them. He knows them by name. He accepts them. He spends his time with them. And he risks all this stuff. He risks... Risks, criticism, ridicule. So that first takeaway, following Jesus, leads us into opposition with the self-righteous. But we need to be thoughtful because we are often the self-righteous. But here's the second takeaway. Following Jesus leads us into a relationship with the outcast. See, something happens when you sit down with somebody to eat. And it did in Jesus' time too. Actually, culturally... If you sat down and shared a table together, like if you ate with somebody at that culture, it indicated that you accepted the person that you were with. You wouldn't see people hanging out with people they didn't like very much. They would refuse to sit down with them. Eating a meal with them means you know them. You associate with them. You are one of them. It's actually not that different today. And Pharisees are like, no way, Jose. I'm not doing it. And Jesus does it over and over and over again in the Bible. See, Jesus didn't come for the people who were already cleaned up, for the people who are self-righteous, who are saying, no, I don't need Jesus. Thank God he came for the outcast. He came for the person who's messed up. He came for the person who's broken. He came for the person that needed Jesus. But here's the the amazing thing. That is also the self-righteous. That's where we fall short. That's a sickness. That's where we interact with Jesus too. He came for both. And he's making it pretty clear. He says, if we follow Jesus, we're going to end up in situations with the self-righteous, and we're going to be in relationships with people who don't have life all figured out. Following Jesus leads to opposition with that self-righteousness, sometimes in us, and following Jesus leads us into relationship with that outcast, and we are often that outcast. And before you start calling up your friend, and you're like, hey, outcast, like, what's up, man? I'd be like, you know outcast, the musician, Nobody? cool. Like, but before we say, Hey, you're an outcast. You're my project. You need Jesus. You, 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 you. We need to stop. We need to say, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. Don't miss the point. See, we're the self-righteous at times, and we are definitely the outcast at times. Let's put that verse back up, you know, thirty one, thirty two. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think that they're righteous because they're not listening to him anyway. They're not having interaction with them anyway. No, he's saying, I came for those who know that they're sinners and need to repent, which is all of us. And if you're self-righteous, these are verses to remind you to stop it. Don't act like you have figured out. It's okay. Don't act like you don't need any help. It's okay. Don't act like you don't make any mistakes. It's okay because Jesus came for you. And if you feel like the outcast, you're the broken, the sick, the sinner, the mistake maker, the down and outer, he came for you. And maybe you're like, I'm somewhere in between. I don't really know. I don't really know if I identify completely with either one. He came for you too. This verse has so much hope in it. See, Jesus came because we needed him to come. And maybe you've heard that a thousand times. Maybe you've never heard that before. But he came because we needed him to come. People like you and like me. See, we fall short of God's standard. We make mistakes. We sin. We're sick. We're confused. And we need help. Enter Jesus. See, Jesus came because you and I needed him to come. And he came to make things right. He lived a perfect life to show us the way. He's the only one who could be self-righteous. He died on a cross because of his love for us. He rose again to conquer death for us, to give us hope for eternity and to be with him in heaven. That's kind of the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus came for people who need him, the outcasts like me and like you. See, we're called to be in relationship with the outcast because we are the outcasts. See, we're the sinners. We need the Savior. This is actually the reason that we care so much about doing whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ here at the Ridge. That's our vision statement, but it's not a gimmick. It's not a slogan. Here's why we believe this. Because we want to be a church that people can come. Messy, sick, messed up, self-righteous. And find the hope and joy and peace of Jesus. See, we want to be a church that isn't perfect because it's made up of imperfect people. But we're going to be real. And we're going to be honest. And we're going to talk about how we fall short. And we're going to point people to Jesus because of that hope and joy and peace that comes from him. See, we want to be a church that other people might grumble about. I mean, did you see so-and-so goes there? Don't they know he messed up? Don't they know she's not right? See, we want to be a church that eats dinner with the people that we call friends and families and co workers and neighbors. And they might be self righteous and they might be outcasts and they might not. It doesn't really matter because they're not a project, they're not something that needs to be done. But they are in need of a savior, just like me and you. So, as I've been thinking about this, there's this question that's kind of been nagging me. This is a question that kind of came up when I was thinking about this. You know, okay. Well, who do I identify? Am I Levi? Am I the Pharisee? Like, what should I do with this story? Well, here's the question. Here it is. See, who is God calling you to invite to your dinner table? Because I believe there's somebody in your life right now that you can invite to for an actual meal. And I know you might be saying, hey, like I don't know if I'm comfortable inviting a bunch of people over to my house and you know, there's this coronavirus stuff, I don't know if you've heard of it. Hey, I get all that, I get all that. But do you think that there's an opportunity to figure that out? I guarantee you there is. Don't don't allow those types of things to be the excuse. See, I believe that there's somebody in your life right now that you can invite over for an actual meal. So who is God calling you? Who is he prompting you to sit down with? Actually invite them Maybe they say no, that's okay Maybe they say yes And I know that's what is scary To some of us But who's God calling you to invite To your dinner table Is it a coworker? You know somebody you chat with But you just don't know super well You know a workplace proximity associate You're like I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about them I don't know what they believe I don't know who they are I don't know their family I don't know any of it Or maybe it's a friend and you do sit down to dinner with them all the time but you've never really dug in or you've never really talked about Jesus or you've never really even asked them something that's below that surface level. Maybe you can take that step the next time that you talked with them. Or is it a neighbor, somebody you see over the fence or you see from a distance you don't 100% know their name? You're like, hey, good to see ya. I mean, who is it? Is it a family member that you haven't seen in a long time? Is it somebody that's an outcast in your family, or maybe it's that person that you would refuse to invite over for dinner. See, that question reveals a lot about us, doesn't it? Like, who would you refuse to invite over for dinner? And I'm not saying do something that's not safe. I'm not saying do something that you've set a boundary on and you've really thought through. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is oftentimes the people that we would refuse to eat with are the very people that God is prompting us to interact with. See, who is God calling you to invite to your dinner table? Do it. Invite them. It doesn't even matter if you know what they believe. It doesn't even matter if you quite know what you believe. Because something happens when you sit down with somebody for dinner relationship happens growth happens challenge happens so what's your answer you know who's God calling you to invite to your dinner table I mean who do you want to sit down with for dinner you know the cool thing about this story I think Jesus kind of played that game too Like, if you could sit down with anybody, who would you sit down with? And he answered the question. I mean, he sat down with Pharisees. He sat down with the self-righteous. He sat down with the outcasts. He sat down with prostitutes. He sat down with kids. He sat down with old people. He sat down with everybody. If he was here today, you know what I think his answer would be? I mean, who would Jesus want to sit down with for dinner? His answer is you. He wants to sit down with you. And he's challenging us. He's pushing us. He's prompting us. What's your answer to the question? Who is God calling you to invite to your dinner table? I'd like to pray for us. This is challenging to me, Lord. God, because there are people in our lives that we would refuse to invite. There are people in our lives that we just prefer not to interact with. There are people in our lives that we don't know super well. And we go, ah, oh, I don't know my personality. I just, that's not who I am. So thank you for challenging me just right now in my heart and in my head to live this out, to actually do this. And God, I confess at times I am the self-righteous I'm among them. Yeah. I think that we're represented here. That there are people hearing the words coming out of my mouth that feel that way. And I ask for your help to break that down, to remind us who we are, to remind us what we need, to remind us of your grace, your love, that the cross really does matter to us, that we can't do it, we don't need to do it on our own. And there are people, myself included hearing these words I feel maybe like the outcast too or the sick or the broken or the downtrodden or they just don't know what to do. I thank you that you love us so fully that you give us that grace that no matter where we are kind of on that spectrum that you love us perfectly that you've provided for us that you would want to sit down with me have dinner that's humbling so help us prompt us to interact with other people the way that you would interact with us wherever they are, self-righteous, outcast, somewhere in between whatever, that we would be prompted, we would actually take that prompting to invite them over to dinner not for any other reason other than to love them and to love you and to respond to who you are and thank you for the cross. Thank you for the way that that impacts us, that we have this opportunity, this reminder, this constant reminder that we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to do it on our own. It's not all of these things that add up, make us good. It's that you love us and sent Jesus to do that for us, that he is the one and only self-righteous. I thank you for that reminder today. Help us. We need your strength to do this. And It's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.